Hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. In this episode, we'll discuss the MOB playoffs, the Rock Hall, Apple Baseball, and Star Wars comics. Please join us on Double Take. All right. Well, welcome. This is uh, Kirk, um, and we're in our second episode. It's been a week, and uh, quite a bit's happened. Uh, Kevin and I decided, you know, let's keep going with this. It's been kind of exciting. We're, you know, busy, you know, working, teaching, stuff like that, doing stuff with our family. But we have some takes on things that we think people will be interested in. And as far as uh, a couple, you know, feedback pieces we got, we got one on, you know, we talk about Apple baseball. And the reason why we talk about that is we feel like there'll be a listenership that will find that interesting. If there's not, then we should find that out and maybe stop doing it. So um, one of the people that I work with, um, a colleague of mine, Tom, good friend, he uh, said, I was interested in that, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, Is there any way you could explain that? So um, Kevin was going to just give us a little kind of background on that, just real quick, so that everybody would know. Last week, there may have been some confusion because Kirk and I mentioned a, a game that we played called APA, which is a, um, a dice baseball board game that's been around since 1951. Um, it was started in Lancaster, Pennsylvania by Dick Seitz. And he kind of based it on this old tabletop game called National Pastime and kind of redeveloped it into his own. And then he played it with his friends and stuff, and they called themselves the American Professional Baseball Association. And the, there's cards for each player and, and realism to it because it reproduces the statistics of the of the particular season that you're playing. Um in 1951, he released this game, and it's been around ever since. I mean, it was in Lancaster for a long time until um, Sites died, and, and then the company changed hands, and eventually it relocated to Alpharetta, Georgia. They've expanded into hockey games, basketball games, football games, horse racing games, golf games, different things. Uh, Kirk and I started playing the game in uh, 1983. Derek Barth, one of our um, kind of big brother-type friends, uh, introduced us to the game um, with the 1974 season, and uh, we were hooked on it and played it for a long time. And then we went off to school and got married and, you know, had life happen to us, and we um, stopped playing. But we've kind of come back to it the last few years, and we've had a lot of fun with it. So that's um, kind of a little background there on APA. All right, excellent. Um, now, you know, that's kind of more, you know, fictional baseball, but there is some real baseball going on, and we uh, talked a little bit about the MLB playoffs last week. Uh, what do you think so far for what we've seen? I mean, it's Saturday here that we're talking. Um, what are your thoughts, Kev? Well, it looks like um, I think Houston's pretty much going to have their series wrapped up here. Uh, I'm, I, I, they're up three games to two. Um, they're going to get one of these next two. I don't know if they're going to get it tonight or, or what they're going to have to do, but um, they're going to make that happen. Um, I'm very pleased that the Nationals are in the World Series. Um, that was fun to watch. Um, you know, maybe the most fun I've had watching a team make a World Series run since the Tigers have done it. You know, um, I guess Houston was pretty fun the last couple of years too, uh, when they when they won it a couple of years ago. But um, 
you know, I'm looking, I'm looking for a Houston Washington series, and um, I certainly think that would be a heck of a series. Lots of former Tigers there that we can root for, <laughs> and uh, should be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's working out exactly the way we hoped it would. Um, I think the biggest surprise, well, I, I was a little surprised that the Nationals won so easily and kind of sweeping through it, but and I do agree with you. I think Houston, with especially with Cole throwing again, um, will have you know, another good chance to win this. It's a little surprising where Verlander has got those two rough beginnings of the games and then he gets no run support and they lose them. You know, like the two, the two losses are really Verlander starts, which is unfortunate. I thought he pitched really well the rest of the game. Um, but when you give up a couple early home runs, like he did uh, in his second start, that, that normally is a downfall and it's something like a playoff game. You know, he seemed to be that way when he was with the Tigers, too. When it's cold weather, um, he's he's a warm weather kind of pitcher because, um, you know, he doesn't get as good a grip on his slider. He doesn't get as good a grip on his fastballs. Fastballs get too straight, and sliders don't break as much as they usually do. And he, remember he did that with the Tigers a few times where he'd give up home runs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd be throwing 97, but he'd give up a home run or something like that. And the same thing. I mean, he pits well after that, but, you know, that that seems to be happening to him sometimes. When if he's down in Houston throwing, and that's like when he's mowing people down, that's because it's warmer down there. And the warm and the cold weather, he's not as effective in the, some of these playoff games. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I think that that's why the, having the end of his career in a warmer climate is probably really optimal for him. Um, and I, I did think it was interesting though that he got his changeup going more last night, and that normally is a field pitch. And he was able to figure that out. I think he, and there was some of the announcers were alluding to him being a little amped up early on and maybe, you know, that could have affected his location. So it could have been whatever. I, you know, I, I didn't listen or read any of his interviews. I'm sure he was honest and just kind of talked about, you know, locations and stuff because that's normally where it comes down to. Yeah. The other question is the long layoff the Nationals are going to have because as Tiger fans, we saw a similar thing happen in 2006 and 2012, and both teams came out flat and lost the World Series. So I, I, I'm going to be rooting for the Nationals. I certainly hope that doesn't happen to them, but it certainly could. Yeah, I, that's why I think if you're a Nationals fan, rooting for uh, it ending tonight or even last night, they were probably hoping, and getting to the series might seem good. Um, you know, it's going to be like – you know, you do have some people that get pretty fired up, like Scherzer. He's, he's always fired up. Um, hopefully, they'll be able to have that that emotional edge that will give them. You know, they'll they'll battle the way that they've been because they the thing that you you know you like about that team is they they just really battle. You know, inning by inning. Yeah, I mean, I'm more concerned with the hitters. I think their pitchers will be fine, but. Um, Hitting is, you know, uh, a feel kind of thing and a rhythm kind of thing. And when you're off for several days in a row, which they're not used to, uh, that can really throw them off. Yeah, that's true. So it should be exciting. Um, and I guess we'll probably in our next episode, you know, be talking about, you know, the matchup in the World Series. Yes. I'd like to talk about the four remaining ballparks. I've been lucky enough to go to all the currently used Major League Baseball stadiums, um, at least once, and several that are no longer with us. So number four on my list would have to be uh, the new Bush Stadium in St. Louis. 
I was able to go to the old one back in the 1980s um, when it was AstroTurf, and it was one of the decent cookie-cutter type stadiums. And I was expecting a lot more when I went to the new one. I, I, I was happy that they had grass. I thought that looked better. But there wasn't anything that was really a whole lot different. Now, it's cool that it's down by the Mississippi River and right by the Gateway Arch. But um, there's not a lot of shade there. And I remember being really hot as I sat out in right field last time I was there. Number three on my list would be Minute Maid Park in Houston. Um, this is one now one of the older um, retractable dome parks, but it's pretty nice. Um, and last time I was there, it was like 97 degrees, and I was really hoping that they'd have the roof closed, and they did. So it's great to have some comfort while you're sitting there watching a ball game. I like the train out left field and the kind of the windows and stuff that they have there. Pretty good sight lines and stuff there. Um, kind of your standard food and everything. Fans get into it. Pretty solid ballpark. Number two, the new Yankee Stadium. Now, it is a great ballpark in many ways, but it's so expensive. I mean, everything in New York is kind of expensive, I guess. Um, and, you know, yeah, the Monument Park's really nice. Um, the museum that they have there is nice. Uh, but it plays a little too small. I mean, the nice thing about the old Yankee Stadium is, yeah, you could hit one down with one of the lines and get um, a kind of cheap home run. But uh, if you hit it in left center, right center, uh, you had to really hit it out, and it was more of a pitcher's park. This new one plays like a little band box, so I definitely grade it down for that. And so obviously number one on my list is Nationals Park. I've been there a couple, two or three times, I believe, and I really like it. It's right off the subway line there. Um, it's in a neighborhood that's really kind of up and coming. Uh, it's got great sight lines, um, nice food and stores and other kind of things going around there. Um, I like the brick, the brick around the ballpark. I love the President's Race. Um, it's a very nice ballpark with a great atmosphere, and the Nationals fans seem to really appreciate it. So those are my top four um, ballparks for this year's playoff teams. I put Kevin on the spot last episode by asking him who he'd put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. On Tuesday, October 15th, the Rock Hall announced the nominees in this year's class. The 2020 class are... Pat Benatar, Dave Matthews Band, Depeche Mode, The Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Judas Priest, Kraftwerk, MC5, Motorhead, Nine Inch Nails, The Notorious B.I.G., Rufus featuring Shaka Khan, Todd Rudgren, Soundgarden, T-Rex, and Thin Lizzy. Fans can vote once a day through January 10th, 2020 and pick up to five nominees per ballot, so it's kind of fun for fans to kind of think through this. The top five artists are comprised into a fan ballot and then they'll be tallied along with the other ballots to choose the 2020 inductees. So my question is, so who do you think should make it? And I feel strongly about three, and I'll try to explain those. Kraftwerk, MC5, and Todd Rundgren. Um, this is a six-time Kraftwerk has been nominated. I realize many people may not be familiar with them, but um, why have they been nominated so much? It's really the quote that's on the Rock Hall website that pretty much sums it up. Kraftwerk is the foundation upon which all synthesizer-based rock and electronic dance music is built. What makes them important is the influence they've had on music in um, artists like Depeche Mode, David Bowie, Daft Punk, and Kanye West. They've also um, are frequently sampled by artists like Madonna, R.E.M., Coldplay, Jay-Z, you know, many others. When Kraftwerk started using synthesizers in the 1970s, it was a much more challenging effort for a band. The results were uh, the foundation for club music. So that, that's why they would get my vote. 
Um, the other one is, you know, I mentioned was MC5, and this is their, you know, fifth nomination. So they're hoping the fifth nomination is a charm for them, I guess, you know, MC5. Again, not the most famous band ever, but unique in their ability to blend like R&B, garage rock, and psychedelia uh, with socially conscious, politically based, you know, stance to their lyrics. Um, they're known for songs like, you know, Kick Out the Jams, but I'm a big fan of Tonight, too. I think that's a pretty fun song. Uh, add to it that they're from Detroit, and they get my vote. And I've also been casting votes for Todd Rundgren. Um, I think his versatility and longevity have finally come to people's attention. When you start working your way through his catalog, it becomes apparent why he's been nominated like two years in a row now. Um, songs like Hello, It's Me and I Saw the Light and Bang the Drum All Day are familiar to many people. Uh, what puts him over the top are his production credits with artists like Patti Smith and Meatloaf and Grand Funk Railroad and Cheap Trick and XTC, who I love, and the New York Dolls. Uh, so those are my best three that I've been voting for. If I had to pick two more in order to get to five votes, which I've been kind of doing, I've been kind of toggling around between Pat Benatar, T-Rex, and Whitney Houston. For each of the three, it's their first nomination, so I'm inclined to hold off on them a little bit longer, but uh, I wouldn't be upset if any of them got in. So those are my takes. Um, what do you think, Kev? What, do you, what would you go with on these ones? Um, there's some decent people on this list for sure. In uh, no particular order, I would pick Soundgarden, uh, the MC5s, Judas Priest, uh, Depeche Mode and Nine Inch Nails would be my picks. Um, you know, leaving off the list is Pat Benatar. I think that you know there's some there's some something there for a female rocker, but um, I can only pick five, so that's what I got. Depeche Mode, I, I wasn't a big fan of theirs, but they were very popular. Had a kind of a cult following back in the '80s, and their kind of electronic punk sound um, certainly has influenced many bands over the years and still resonates today you can kind of say that a little bit about the mc5s too a detroit area band they um you know were a counterculture band when they started in the late 60s but uh, kind of influenced the um the 70s punk movement judas priest a big time heavy metal band that kind of redefined heavy metal a few times i'm not a big heavy metal fan but i do know them and and i can appreciate what they accomplished um, Nine Inch Nails, I mean, just Trent Reznor on his, on his own is probably deserving of the Hall of Fame, and, and certainly he is Nine Inch Nails. It's a band that still influences today and um, certainly um, moved music in a different direction. And then finally, Soundgarden. I mean, Soundgarden to me is the, the biggest no-brainer of all of these groups. Uh, when you think of 90s grunge and kind of the... Mount Rushmore of 90s grunge, you've got Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. So those are my takes for this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class. So, you know, as a final note, one nice thing about music these days is how easy it is to listen to unfamiliar artists, and I encourage everyone to, you know, explore unfamiliar artists. If you subscribe to a music service like Apple or Spotify or Amazon, you can listen to any of these nominees and make an informed vote and have fun with it. And I encourage you all to do so. Obviously, our votes were much different, and I'm sure our listeners have different opinions as well. We'd really like to know what you think, so feel free to send us an email 
or reach out to us through Twitter, or leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. If you'd like to do that, you have to uh, have an account with Anchor and then like the Double Take podcast. And if you're able to do that for us, um, it's possible we might add your message to our next show. Now would be a good time to have a take on comic books. That's definitely part of pop culture and something that we like to talk about on our podcast here. So Kirk and I are big Star Wars fans, and uh, we're looking forward to the the third and final movie in this trilogy to come out in December. And we are also uh, have gotten to be kind of big uh, comic book fans the last few years. I totally agree with you. I, I've really gotten into comic books more since I started teaching a pop culture class and do a unit on comic books. So, you know, you can read them, you know, the paper versions and go to comic book stores, which are great. But then there's also lots of great ways to read them online, especially through, you know, websites like Comicology. What's been your entry point? Me in particular, because of the Star Wars books that have been out, kind of got me into that. I read them regularly. And there's um, kind of a new little series that came out, Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars Allegiance. Um, and I'll put a, a picture of the cover on the Twitter um, so you can take a look at that. And I read this book. Here's how the, the scroll goes on it. And this is just before you know the movie here that's going to be coming out. It says, uh, Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Allegiance, Part 1, An Old Hope. Luke Skywalker is dead, but the Jedi Master's sacrifice, as well as the sacrifices of many rebels, allowed what little remains of the noble resistance to escape total annihilation at the hands of the evil First Order. Supreme Leader Kylo Ren will stop at nothing until the resistance is crushed and the entire galaxy is subjugated. Now General Leia Organa leads the last rebels, including Jedi-in-training Rey and freedom fighters Poe Dameron, Rose Tico, Finn, the Wookiee Chewbacca, and the droid C-3PO, R2-D2, and BB-8, and what could be their final stand. Together, they hope to be the spark that will light the fire to burn the First Order away forever. But they stand alone, and without allies, and it could be the flames of rebellion that are about to be snuffed out. So we kind of see where they left off after um, our, our last movie. Um, and here they, they start things out um, on this ice planet um, and show some other rubble areas that uh, are being affected by the First Order. I'm trying not to give too much away. I don't want to be like Mr. Spoiler here. Um, and then uh, we see what's happening with, um, with that planet, and there's going to be a little connection there. And then um, Princess Leia is dealing with um, um, Rose, and um, she has sent a couple of, the, of our other main characters off on some missions, like Poe and Finn are trying to get some, some armaments because they don't have those. Uh, Ray's off doing like Jedi training kind of things and um, and then we have Princess Leia kind of go and hook up with Ray and they go try to get some help from an old an old ally from many years ago that I, I won't say you just have to read the comic book and see what you think there are several um, there's going to be a few books in this series um, not too many um, that are leading right up to the um, the final you know to the next issue I think there's going to be four um, in total. 
that kind of lead right up to the beginning of the movie. So they did that in the last two movies, and they're very interesting and um, kind of get you really prepared for it, and they kind of fill in a few gaps. So I do suggest that. Take a look at it. Well, that's that's a fun take. I uh, love comic books. Didn't get into them until I was an adult. But it's, uh, you know, definitely when you talk about Star Wars, that is something that they like to use different mediums for. So you're going to have, you know, comic books, novels, and television programming to blend into the big motion picture releases. And that's exactly what's happening here. If you're a fan of different things, they do that with Marvel, uh, you, know, you know, like a Spider-Man coming out or something too. And it's great. Um, it, you're kind of missing out if you don't check it out. And, you know, don't think that you're being a geek or something because you're looking at the comics. Um, it's just a way to kind of fill in the holes. So last week, uh, I introduced on the spot where I asked Kevin a question that he wouldn't be familiar with. And, you know, we didn't have any pre-show discussion. And we thought it might be good to kind of try to trade off episode to episode. So it's Kevin's turn this week. So take it away. Okay. Well, this winter, as always, the Baseball Hall of Fame will be um, having their new nominees and inductees into the hall. And we have a few people this year that are first-time eligibles for the Hall of Fame. So I've got, I'm going to run through a list. And uh, you can tell me yes or no if you think they're a Hall of Famer. Not saying that they're going to go in this year, but at any time you think that you know they might get All the right. votes. Do you want me to respond? Uh, doesn't respond have to be after first each out. one. Is that the idea? Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. So here are some of our new people. And then I got a couple other questions too. But Bobby Abreu, yes no. or no? Josh Beckett, yes or no? No. Eric Chavez, no. Yes or no? Adam Dunn, no. yes or no? Unless, of course, it's for striking out a lot. <laughs> Raphael Fercal, yes no. or no? Jason Giambi, hmm. yes or no? No. Yeah, a, little, a little, you know, top 40 home run three times, yeah. you know, hit 440, yeah, over 2,000 hits, five-time All-Star, right. 2,000 MVP. Juiced up a lot, yep. yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's going to keep yeah. on. Uh, Raul Ibanez. Yes or no? Ooh, he's had a nice long career, but no. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Derek Jeter. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. He should be first, in. First ballot. First yeah. ballot. <laughs> Paul Canerco. Yes or no? Mm. He was solid for a number of years. I'd have to look more. My in- inclination is no, because I'm, Pretty tough, as you can tell with it, but I'd have to compare him to other third basemen, that sort of thing. He'd be close, possibly just because of his positions, um, but I'm leaning no. So first baseman, six-time All-Star, 279 career hitter, 2,340 hits, 439 homers. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like maybe uh, like an edge yeah. to a, a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, he won't be first ballot, obviously, no, no. but um, but maybe down the line, yes. Especially in this age of a closer look at, you know, your stats and so forth. Yeah. Uh, Cliff Lee, yes or no? Mm. Uh, no. 
Okay. And last, Alfonso Soriano, yes or no? Mm, no. Uh, if he would have played second base for his whole career and had the stats, yeah. But he only did that for a brief period of time, right? And then was pretty much – well, he won three silver, three silver sluggers at right. second. Yeah, I, and, I'd have yeah, to look yeah. closer, of course, but I feel like he spent over half of his career as an outfielder. You know, so yeah. and his outfield numbers aren't the same as second base numbers. So, oh no, um, I mean he had good numbers. Don't get me wrong, but like if you throw that in a middle infielder, then things change. Yes, for sure. Now, we have some people that are holdovers this year. That um, Let's say people that got 50% or better on the ballot last year. Do you think they're either going to maybe get in this year or in the future at some point? What do you think about these particular people? Okay. Kurt, Kurt Schilling, 60.9% last year. He was the top non-getter inner last year. Yeah. <laughs> I would say Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't like him personally. But that doesn't have a lot – it shouldn't have a lot to do with things. I think he had a Hall of Fame career, um, especially with some of the bigger moments in the playoffs and so forth. Okay. Um, Roger Clemens, 59.5%. Clemens statistically – I mean if you look at his overall war, I think he's like top three all time or something. It's ridiculous. It's over 100 um, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Again, it comes down to um, you know juicing up and his longevity. A lot of time, you know, when you were watching him at the end of his career and he's uh, throwing like a guy that's 22 years old, it was like, how is this happening? Um, and so that's kind of what it, I think that a long delay before he gets in is probably the appropriate way. But he definitely um, has the resume. Okay, if you're like with him and Bonds, who's who's the next guy here, fifty nine point one percent, you're okay with the the Roy stuff now and putting those guys in. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I said that or not, but I I do believe they both have outstanding resumes and you know Hall of Fame level stuff. Um, I I I. I think that I would probably lean to putting them in, but you know, it's like, what type of message do we want to send? You know, do we want to, um, you know, send the message that you'll never get in if you, um, you know, use some sort of performance enhancing, you know, uh, thing. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure where baseball stands on that right now. That seems to be where some of the writers and stuff are at. Um, but I think that as far as their performance and sometimes I think, uh, for the baseball of him that gets mixed up more than anything. I mean, you know, you look at like when we talk about the rock hall, you have people that do all sorts of stupid things that are in the rock hall, you know, um, you know, yeah. why can't, you know, these people be in, the, you know, what, why is there this moral code, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, I it, that's a, that's a totally another topic to have uh, as a conversation, but I think that at some point I think they should be in this is like in the same way I would say that I think Pete Rose should be in the hall of fame. And I think, you know, the Shoeless Joe Jackson should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I guess I'm uh, of the kind of person that leans towards they, di- they did it, put them in, you know. Um, so I guess I do lean that way. I mean, I'm a big Hall kind of guy. I-, I believe Clemens and Bonds should both be in. They're not banned from baseball. They're blacklisted, but they're not banned from baseball. Um, Pete Rose is banned from baseball, so I don't have as much a problem with that, though I do feel like he should maybe be in. Or maybe there should be something that 
um, once you die, then your lifetime ban is over and you are eligible then after you're dead, I guess. And, you know, maybe that could be the case, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you don't get to give the speech. You don't get to know that. Um, and, you know, so you, there's a certain uh, – there's less satisfaction with that. So, I, yeah, that could be – I mean, it sounds kind of creepy, but um, it might be possible. I mean, sure, Joe Jackson would never know, yeah. but he should be in. You know, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. So I got three more for yeah. you real quick. If you think they should be Hall of Famers or, okay. or or if you think they will get in at some point. Larry Walker. I think Larry Walker should be in the Hall of Fame. He had a great career. Um, I don't know off the top of my head his stats, but I mean, he was always right there in batting titles, um, considered one of the best hitters in the game. I know that you know, sometimes he'll get criticized for playing in Colorado for a bit, but he also was yes. playing with the Expos and stuff too, right? I mean, early on. And it's like, I mean, geez, talk about the opposite. I mean, you know, playing in him, you know, you and I saw a game there when, you know, the Expos played and that was a horrible place for baseball. So I, I, I probably would think, but, you know, he wasn't a superstar, but he was a star who had um, good statistics. Now, maybe in an age when they were a little beefed up, but there's all sorts of situations like that in baseball history. Yeah. Um, he definitely, his number one criticism is playing in Colorado, but I lean toward Hall of Fame for him. Okay. Um, mm. Omar Vizquel. Mm. I, uh, he doesn't hit like Hall of Fame um, shortstops do. He fields as well, fielded as well as any of them did. Um, and I think he's a good guy. Not that that should always be, you know, the difference or anything. Um, I'm going to think he's always going to be the type of person that is right on the edge of yeah. not getting in. You know, he played forever. And yeah, he had some hit numbers. I know he had, you know, 2,000 something hits or whatever. And, you know, it's all all right. But he he was never the best shortstop in baseball. And never even one of the top three, really. Um, whenever he was playing, there was always people overshadowing him. Okay. And then, um, uh, number six from last year was Manny Ramirez. What do you think of him? Right. And I think what really helps Fiscal is that he played so long. Well, longevity does, you do have to play a certain length. You can't just be a flash in the, you know, in the pan. But on the other hand, playing really long and having pretty decent numbers, but still nothing compared to the Hall of Famers that are there, isn't good enough either. I don't have it right in front of me. I believe he hit nearly 500 home runs. He, he, when he played, he seemed like a Hall of Famer, mm. you know. I, I mean, when I watched him play, he was so dangerous, you know, in, in his prime. Um, do you have his lifetime stats available or your you I know Yeah. Yeah. That that was and I know he had well over four hundred home runs and he had some good batting average years and our crazy RBI years. Um yeah, I'm you know, I now I'd have to look at some of the stuff. I know he did a, a fair amount of DHing too. Um, so sometimes you you look at Hall of Famers based on the positions that they play, and you know, so I'm not sure where he stacks up with comparable people at that at his basically outfield DH position. But um, yeah, I would have to give him a close look 
probably thinking he might deserve some votes. Well, also his reputation as a screwball didn't really help him much either. And then a couple other people that um, like, um, well, a, a couple of guys I'm just going to mention real quickly. I think that really should probably be in the Hall of Fame and probably won't get in. Scott Rowland was one of the best third basemen of his generation, but doesn't get the credit that he should. If you look at his stats, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, Todd Helton. Um, I think Todd Helton should be in. Again, he gets criticized for playing in Colorado, but, you know, hey, you know, you play where you played. And a guy that should be a Hall of Famer that's probably not going to get there because of all the PEDs is Gary Sheffield, you know, with over 500 home runs. So, yeah, I would say that. And, you know, it's funny, the Colorado thing. I mean, when are we going to start talking about playing in this Yankee Stadium? You know, I mean, some of those home runs that guys get down the lines, it's ridiculous, you know, and I know that, um, you know, we talk about ballparks and stuff and, but I, I, um, I just, you know, like I see some of the stuff in other places that seem kind of crazy. Why is it always the stigma of Colorado? Um, I feel like that's unfortunate. Well, you can't be a hall of famer if you play in Colorado for a long time. I mean, that's basically what people are saying. It seems really unfair. Well, a, a ball to straightaway right in Yankee Stadium is not hard to hit a home run there. I mean, it doesn't even have to mm-hmm. be down the line. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, it used to be in the old one that you'd have like kind of it angled out. But now it's just it's just a joke. It's like, I mean, it's like a bandbox basically. So, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of pathetic there. Um, I, uh, I think with Scott Rowland, just to come back to him for just a second, you know, you, third baseman, there are not a lot of, you know, great third baseman in the history of the game. I mean, they're, you know, people who played there a long time and had, you know, most of their career at that position. So you got to take a closer look at people. Third baseman and second baseman mm-hmm. seem to be well, like Scott that. Well, Scott Rowland in particular, for his generation, if you look at it, you could argue he was the best third baseman of his generation. And the best person at a position in a generation should probably be in the hall of fame um now did he have the numbers that some guy that was playing you know outfield played or some other mvp guys no not necessarily but every team would have wanted him at third base um during his heyday so there's something to be said for that yes and he has a longevity aspect to him of of consistency that yeah yeah i i I hope that he gets rewarded with uh you know someday getting in the hall, but he probably won't, you know, it's tough. You know, you see a lot of hard luck cases at, you know, sometimes at third and then of course at second. And I'm sure at another time we can talk about Lou Whitaker more, but you know, you and I are both under the strong belief that yes, he should, you know, he'll have a shot potentially this year with the, um, one of the veterans ballots. So we'll see what happens. Right. There seems to be more momentum going that way. So I'm hoping that works out and that would be great. And so that it? Did that, that's all the ones yeah, you got that I do. All right. Was that kind of fun? <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, that was fun. I'd like to give you a little update on the WBO APA Baseball League that I'm participating in for the first time this season. I inherited a team that won 80 games last year. And in our 162-game schedule, I was able to guide them to a 93-69 and record, which was good for second place in my division, and got us in the playoffs as a wildcard team. So we took on the second-place team, the Portland Pilgrims. And in the first game, which I hosted, um, we had a couple ace pitchers going, uh, Huynh Jin Ria versus Blake Snell. So you're thinking it was going to be a 2-1 to game, but it ended up being a 9-5 to game. 
Um, the Pilgrims jumped on uh, Snell early on and had a bit of a lead, but uh, the Holy Harveys, named after great umpire Doug Harvey, were able to come back and uh, hit seven home runs and, and secure the, the victory in the late innings. The second game was in Portland, and uh, I had my other stud pitcher going, Corey Kluber, and he was able to secure um, only four runs given up on a couple two-run home runs. But um, the Holy Harveys pounded out three more home runs and a bunch of hits and won 11-4. So now I move on to the division championship, uh, which will probably be played this weekend, a uh, seven-game series, against the Galveston Gray Ghosts, who are a pretty good team with some good pitching, so it's going to be tough. So I'll give you an update on that uh, in our next podcast and see how I did if I won or lost and where I ended up. Okay, a little more APA talk at this next weekend coming up. Um, Kevin, you're going to be playing in an APA tournament. Which one are you going to be playing in? I'm going to be playing here in Grand Rapids in the second annual Furniture City APA tournament. It's held at um, Legends Sports and Games. And um, basically, you know, all these tournaments have a uh, theme to it. So it's APA teams that were non-pennant winning major league teams from 1920 to 1972, 25 man roster. But then you also, um, once you selected the team, which has already been done, you get to pick one dead ball era player from 1901 to 1919 to add to your team. And so the teams are drafted then in reverse order, people got to draft the dead ball player. So uh, GF Corrick runs that tournament. Um, and it's around, Oh, I think we got around 14 or so teams this year. It's a little bit on the smaller side so far until it gets going, but uh, that's what we're playing with. So I'm playing with the 1930 New York Giants, and the player that I added, my dead ball player, is Smokey Joe Wood from his historic 1912 season. And I would like to take a little credit for your interest in the 30 Giants was because I'm going to be playing with them out in um... – you know, another tournament in March um, that you and I were playing and testing things online with the APA online stuff. And you got a good taste for what that, what that team could bring as far as the lumber, right? Oh yeah, definitely. It's a <laughs> tremendous hitting team. I mean, its biggest weakness is its, um, is its you pitching. must have your, uh, your ringtone going off there or something, little beetles there. <laughs> <laughs> So um, if you're not familiar with APA, uh, pitchers are rated as like an A, B, C, or D, and they have different things as well. But like an A pitcher is an ace. So there's no real aces on the 1930 Giants. They just have a couple Bs and then a whole bunch of C and D level pitchers. So Smokey Joe Wood is definitely very valuable to put on that team. And then, of course, he also hits well and is going to play a little outfield for you when he's not pitching, right? Yes, he's going to play the outfield whenever he's not pitching, he's going to be in every game. <laughs> so because he was a, that year in particular, he was uh hit like two ninety five and um, is a good hitter. So he's a little bit better than my number three outfielder. Yep. So what we've been doing is when uh, we, you know, you've been doing some tournaments and I have, and what we like to do is, you know, purchase the team for a couple bucks um, on APA, you know, going online APA go. And then uh, you can, pr- you can kind of get used to substitutions 
um, what type of lineup you'd like to have. Uh, or, uh, many times it's a three-man pitching rotation in a tournament, that sort of thing. Um, so we've been doing that and it's been really helpful, at least for me. And I think it's been helpful for you too, right? For sure. I mean, you see what kind of lineup works best. Like if you want to switch a guy from, you know, the four or five spot or, or, you know, if you're trying to improve your fielding, um, yeah. And how you use your relief pitchers, um, you know, and it's just fun to do. I mean, the Apple go is a, is a great game that they've created and they, they keep trying to improve it. So if you haven't tried that and you can just search uh, app go and you get a couple free teams, uh, the last year's world series teams, and you can try it out. You know, you don't have to buy teams right away or anything. Right. And like for you, when we were playing, um, I of course wanted to play with my lineup, but you wanted to practice with your relief pitching, right? Yes. So um, like in particular for the one that we're having in March, I have the, the 2011 uh, Texas Rangers, which are a great hitting team, but they have great relief pitching. They have several like a type relievers. And I wanted to see how that would work, putting them in, in certain spots um, because you usually these tournaments require you to uh, pitcher starting pitcher, at least five innings before you can start putting other guys in there. Right. And that's the other thing, like when they have a three man rotation in most of these tournaments, you see better pitching. So guys that uh, might have more eights and nines on their cards aren't going to do as well. So that's where the 1930 Giants were interesting because they could still face um, a good pitcher. And they had numbers like sevens and, and, you know, tens and elevens. And of course, a lot, you know, a lot of the single digit numbers that um, will allow them to still get on base. They were on base all the time basically. Uh, so, you know, you get a feel for how that team yes. is going to play too. Um, so I think it's, it's very helpful. And, and um, I'll probably write an article for that at some point on the, the Apple blog, uh, talking about our experiences with that. Yeah, I think it's a great way to prepare and it's still kind of fun. Um, so we'll, we'll have more of that. We'll also talk about, we're looking at um, in August, you and I, for the first time attending the Chicagoland tournament, um, and I think that'll be fun that that's, a, you know, of course they all have a theme and that one there is basically what 1974 DHs, um, you know, to a present, um, and you can pick different teams there, but that's going to be a pretty good sized tournament. I think it's around 40, yes, 40, 40 so managers, yeah, 73, right? uh, 2019, I think AL and NL. Yep. Oh, yeah, AL and NL teams. So, um, yeah, that should be fun and, and get to meet a few, new people that we haven't seen here in the tournaments in Michigan. Um, and some of the same guys, there's guys that like to travel around, particularly in the Midwest, and they go to several tournaments a year. There's like a big one out in Slippy Rock that they have. There's several down in, I know down in like Florida and stuff that people go to. And of course, the really big one is the um, national tournament in Alpharetta at the Apple Convention. They have a huge tournament there, not just baseball, but they'll do the other games that they have. They'll do a big hockey tournament. They'll do a soccer tournament. They do like a home run derby. Um, they used to have a saddle racing game, I guess, for APA, and a guy brings that in, and, and they have like 40 people do the saddle racing, so you can pick, you know, Secretariat and this and that, and they do all these races, and I guess it's a lot of fun. Um, so they have all kinds of stuff there. I've never been to the National Convention. Maybe sometime after I retire, maybe I get to go down there. You know, and I know that this is very niche-oriented, and to some people maybe kind of a little nerdy, but... Um, but there's always, you know, people just like to do something for their hobby. And I think that, um, you know, APA is something that people do. And we'll talk about that on our podcast. Um, and I'm hoping when we go to a couple of our tournaments that we're attending, um, maybe we can do a few interviews with people, some of the people that are running them and stuff and get a little, you know, some other voices on here. Yes, I think that that would be, um, that'd be 
a pretty fun thing to do. I think some people would appreciate that for sure. I mean, it's really going to come down to if anybody's even listening to us, but hopefully they are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, if, they don't, if they don't like a particular segment that we're talking about, or if you don't like it at some point, then, you know, you can just skip it along until we talk about something you think is more interesting. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. Um, so that that's basically our uh, – we'll kind of come back, I think, probably in our next episode and see how you did in the uh, in this latest tournament. Um, and hopefully you do all right. I'm, you know, especially since I'm playing with that team in March, I like to see him do yes. well. And, and I, um, I usually, um, cause I, I keep score on my, on my iPad for the different games. So I kind of, I live tweet my games, um, on, I have like a, kind of a, a just a Twitter account set up for my, um, app of stuff, you know, and people follow that. And so if you want to check that out at some point, um, you, you could, it's, um, basically, um, you know, APA, APA Weber is the handle. So at A P B A W E B E R. So if you want to see how I do, um, I'll be live tweeting and hopefully I'll be getting some victories and rolling some good numbers for my players. <laughs> so. Yeah, that would be great. All right. Great. Double Take is recorded using Audacity and a hobbyist plan at Zencaster.com. We use Fifine USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter at DoubleTakeCast or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.